Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 203. And today I interviewed Floyd Marinesco, who is a remote and virtual team expert. So yesterday was, I guess, Snowmageddon 2016. I hate these names for it, but that's what it was. And today it's beautiful. So the sun is shining on me and I have a very, very important meeting today that I was not able to get to because of snow. So I am Skyping in. And we got a special speakerphone attachment for the computer there so that I can be heard and I can hear very well. And it's the second best thing I can do. But it makes me think of one of the big things that I'm always talking about with less doing, which is restrictions. And honestly, oftentimes creating artificial restrictions. It's something that I do in my life every day in some way or another, whether it's a time restriction, which is a big one, especially with the kids. Uh, but sometimes it's a physical restriction or a digital restriction. So one thing I've been doing lately, actually, is I found an old iPod Touch that we had. And by the way, holding an iPod Touch after you've been holding an iPhone 6 is kind of hilarious. It feels like a toy and like you're going to drop it every second. It's featherweight by comparison. But but anyway, on iPod Touch, I basically just installed pretty much four apps that I really, really need. So I've got Slack on there. I've got Trello. And actually, that's kind of it. So I have Slack and Trello on there, which is how most of my business communications happen. And that's all I have on there. I don't have the phone. I don't have text messaging. I don't have email. And it's been really interesting. When I'll take a few hours where I'll, or actually an entire day yesterday where I just used that and sort of see what happens and, and how much less I use it and how much more productive I can be. But those kinds of experiments. So there's actually an article I found. This is an extreme version of this, of course. But there's an article in Entrepreneur Magazine written by an entrepreneur who spent two years in prison and basically talking about his prison hacks or his uh, hacks for being more productive in prison. So I actually really like this article, I have to say. Uh, prison is something that has always been really kind of terrifying to me for some reason when I was younger. I, I, I don't know, but it's interesting the way this, this person, his take on it. So one of the things he says is be an early riser because the food in this case, I guess, came between 4.45 and 5 every morning a.m. And if you missed that meal, you would not eat again until noon. He said, so that only happened once and he became an early riser and then he would start writing. And every day he was writing and I guess you were writing in prison with a number two golf pencil. So I, I guess the reason for that is so that you couldn't use it as a weapon. And he would write every single day and he would write about what he was reading. Sometimes he would just summarize things or he'd write down how he was feeling, but he got in the habit of writing every day. And he actually hand wrote this article that he submitted to Entrepreneur Magazine. So he learned writing as a habit, reading as a habit. Um, and then the other thing was bootstrapping because apparently he says it's very expensive to live in prison basically because the food that you're given from the state is not really enough and the commissary is very expensive. So you have to get kind of scrappy and trade and buy things and then sell them and whatnot. And, and it was just an interesting experience for him. But he also had no internet access. So that's a big one, right? And, and I'm not suggesting that, but actually did a debate. He, he, did a, he participated in, the, in a debate and they would get articles printed and mailed to them by postal service by people so that they could do research. It's just interesting when you have to 
solve things for those kinds of restrictions. And obviously, I don't want anybody to go to prison, but if you were only able to write with a pencil, for example, or you were not allowed to use the internet for several hours a day, like someone like Neil Strauss does, what might that do for you? So think about some of the freedoms that we have and in some cases, how those freedoms can make us unproductive, which is something I've talked about before. So all that to say that it gives you something to experiment with. Try removing something and seeing how the, the quote-unquote difficulty of it makes you figure out better solutions to your problems. Uh, so there was an article at Medical Daily about a new test that was done based on a, on a research study. And I have a real problem with this, so I'm going to explain this. They took 100 college students, all men, all heterosexual, who had never been fathers, and they had them fill out questionnaires basically about what their interest in having children was, sort of surreptitiously. And then they had them watch porn, and then they took a saliva test. And basically what they found, what they believe they found, was that the men who were more interested in having babies had a lower testosterone response, basically a lower sexual arousal to the porn than men who were not as interested. So the guys who didn't want to have kids were having a very heightened sexual response to watching the pornography. So basically what they're saying is that they can do this test after you watch porn and see if you're ready to be a father. That's the fantastical thing that they basically show, which I I think is ridiculous. I think that this is a terrible study. Um, And I, I dug into this a little more. And the problem with this, first of all, I know this is ridiculous, but you don't know what their porn history is beforehand. You know, and, and we, there's, Hundreds of studies. I'm not saying that that the studies that talk about how porn basically like makes you impotent, but people have different levels of exposure to porn, and it's a known thing that the more stimulus you have from pornography, you see that the dopamine response goes down because you habituate to it. It's also one of the reasons that a lot of people who are like porn addicted tend to get into very violent sometimes or a very weird, very niche porn because they need something that's weirder and more out there to sort of heighten the response. So I think that this is ridiculous because this is also saying that somebody who wants to be a father doesn't necessarily have a high testosterone response or doesn't have a high sex drive. And I think that that's crazy. So I would love to hear if people have a different different thought on this, but I, I think that this, this kind of study is just absolutely absurd. Okay, so moving on. There is a new service called Beepy. And BP makes it easy to buy or sell a car. And I found this recently because I was basically trying to figure out if there was an easier way to sell a car than eBay Auto, which is pretty easy, by the way. But basically, they guarantee it. to They're basically saying that you're going to sell it within 30 days or they will buy it, which is pretty cool. And you can also buy a car this way. So it really makes it just very, very simple to buy or sell a car. So selling a car can be very, very complex. That's actually something that our assistants have done twice. And it's, it's not a simple process. So if you can make that easier, do it. So I'd love to hear if anyone's had that experience. But if you need to sell a car, try out BP. Okay, so the next one is a Chrome extension called Co-Design. And this is a little bit specific, but I'm sure it's something that, that a lot of people would find valuable. We find this as a problem a lot of times when we're dealing with virtual assistant stuff where they're doing design work or they're designing a web page. It's just a little difficult sometimes to communicate via text with a client or with anybody, with a teammate, about something visual. You know, you can write all you want about how the the box in the upper left corner is a little bit off and it should be moved to the right. And then somebody can very easily confuse that and not know what you're talking about. So the more visual you can get, the better. So basically, this app is the simplest way to share and discuss feedback on the web and you can essentially pull up anything on your browser and then pin comments to specific places. So you can 
put a little placeholder on that box, for example, and then write the comment. And then somebody else can comment on it and they can mark it as completed and you can actually like work through it remotely. So I just, I just like these kinds of things. When you're discussing something visual, it's nice to have this kind of thing in your pocket. Okay, so the next one is called Esper, and this is really interesting. This is a very a new take. I've never seen this before. So they're saying find more time in your day with smart calendar analytics. So essentially what this is doing is it's looking at your calendar, your current calendar, and you don't have to do any time tracking. You basically can label things very quickly and categorize those events uh, as part of categories and then you'll get a visual breakdown of basically how you're spending your time on different days different months and it'll break it down into personal time health and wellness biz dev executive recruiting product strategy whatever you want and you can get a real nice breakdown of how you are spending your time and i know that there's a lot of people that i work with that would love this kind of information so this is not the rescue time kind of thing where it's you know you spent 16 hours on email this week and you're very productive on tuesdays this is more of a of a meta breakdown of how you are spending your time and your week based on the, the the appointments you have in your calendar so i would love to hear people's experience with esper check that out for sure also i want to take this opportunity to remind people to sign up for the less doing newsletter where you'll get all sorts of actionable tips and now you're getting a weekly exclusive video that i record professionally with a videographer and sound and audio all and uh, lighting all done properly so that i can give you one three to five minute video every week with something really cool actionable tip that you won't get anywhere else so make sure to sign up for the less doing newsletter over at lessdoing.com or you can text the word do less to 33733 and get in there as well. So the last link that I want to share today is called Overlap. And Overlap is a AI scheduling assistant. This is something that we've seen many, many times before, but I have to say, and there's flaws with all of them, but this one I have to say is pretty close to the mark. So basically you send an email to someone and you CC your Overlap assistant. So you can be like, hey, it was great seeing you. I'd love to get together next Monday or Tuesday at my office. Now it's going to recognize that you said next Monday or Tuesday and my office, and it will email the person and say, I'd like to uh, find a time for you to meet at this office address. And this is what I like. It gives you, it gives the person three options. So say, please select one of these times. You give them three times or view their calendar. So it's kind of like schedule once or reply to this email and suggest other times. And the best thing, honestly, I think this is great. At the very bottom, it says, uh, politely decline this meeting so they can click and politely decline the meeting. And you just, you're basically like serving it up on a platter for them. Because honestly, personally, I would rather somebody reply a no then not reply at all. So this makes that even easier. And then you're getting an email back saying so-and-so selected this time and you can confirm it or reschedule it. And then you both get calendar invitations. So I I like this. I like that it's not pretending that it's not AI, first of all. And uh, this is really cool. I'm I'm actually going to be using this myself to try it out and I will report back as well. So that's all I've got for this week. Uh, Enjoy yourselves. Be productive. Go forth and conquer those to-do lists. Get rid of them completely. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week on episode 204. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. 
And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Floyd Marinescu, who is the CEO and co-founder of C4 Media and also the co-founder of InfoQ. So we're going to talk about virtual teams. Uh, Floyd, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's great. It's great to be here. I love offering um, insights on virtual companies and how they run. We're a medium-sized business, so this is not about using virtual assistants. This is about um, how to run a legit company with departments and everything virtually. <clears throat> and uh, I really wish I wish on the world that uh, more companies could be virtual because I think it'd be a much better quality of life for people, and um, and it would resu- result in a more results-oriented environment, which is good for good for everyone. Yeah. So, first of all, have you ever had a real a real one? Sorry, I don't even even say that because my company's virtual too. Have you ever had a like a physical company where you know everyone was in an office together? <laughs> um, I've actually so I'm 37 at the time of this recording, and uh, I only have eight months of um, in office experience, and those are just internships during university. Everything else. Um, I've I've always worked um, virtually for or remotely for companies um, since the very beginning, um, and I've my career has been primarily in two two major companies, um, uh, including my own for the last ten years. And uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a an unusual um, unusual in that um, I'm just kind of in a sense born into this environment, uh, versus, whereas others are you know would be something new. Sure. So um, well, and and what what does your current company do? Yeah, so we're a media company for software developers. What does that mean? Uh, we do large conferences in eight cities around the world uh, co- called QCon. Uh, the last one was in San Francisco a few weeks ago. We had 1,500 attendees, uh, 100 speakers, speakers from Facebook, Netflix, LinkedIn, that, that sort of level. Uh, most attendees are, are senior technical influencers from large companies. And uh, so we're in New York, London, uh, China, Brazil, Japan. And then we also have a news website called InfoQ.com, uh, which is also for senior software developers, has uh, almost 2 million readers a month in five languages. So it's um, kind of a new age um, online uh, and in-person conferences uh, company. Okay. So, and what does your team look like? Yeah, this is a bit unusual. So one of the advantages of being virtual is that you can hire people. Um, Why? Well, sorry. Actually, where are you based? <laughs> yeah, I live in Toronto. I was born and raised here. Um, there's a couple others that are in Toronto and, um, they come into, I do have a, I don't like to use the O word office. We, we have a, a small workspace near where, near where I live. And, um, so they come in a couple times a week and they work from home the other days. It's totally optional, like, like a workspace should be. And, um, uh, the rest of the staff lives in, in five countries. So we have several in the U S uh, several in, and a large, very large team in Europe, spanning Greek, uh, UK, Greece, Romania, uh, team in Brazil. So it's uh, completely distributed, and uh, we hire people based on uh, wherever they are. Also, we, there's a sort of a kind of a cost advantage if you can hire ops people, um, and uh, in emerging economies, that's that's a great advantage for especially for startups. Uh, so 
and then, but then even, uh, I guess I'm kind of going to a different tangent now, but even, even if you're based, uh, mainly US based or Canada based, um, you know, generally you have the advantage that you don't, there's certain roles that you don't have to hire for in big cities. So you take advantage of lower costs of living in different areas and lower salaries and get good people that, um, work, can work for a cool company and everyone works from home and everyone's happy. And, and what are, so what are those roles primarily though that those people are filling? Um, yeah, well, typically the pattern is, um, uh, sales and management is uh, is North America. Not only North America, we, part of our exec team is in like one of our, one of our exec team members is in the UK, the other is in Greece, and then the rest of us are in Canada and and the US. Uh, but uh, in terms of um, uh, a lot of our operations roles, um, marketing roles, we have them in, uh, hire people in in Romania in Brazil. Uh, we're looking to hire people in Ireland. Um, we. <laughs> And, and then even, uh, as I mentioned, even sort of local sourcing, if you want to use that term, um, you know, hiring people several hours away from a major city, um, people are quite happy. And it's obviously, it's lower cost of living for them as well. So things like, like uh, book people that are helping in finance or operations or um, stuff like that. Basically, if, if, if someone doesn't need to uh, be doing client visits, then there's no reason to hire them in uh, New York SF or, or London or Toronto or, or big city like that, unless there's a specific person you want to hire for a specific skill set um, that you d- that you need, in which case, obviously, hire, hire them wherever they are. Yeah, well, and of course, and how, how does the team, like, operate? How do they communicate? Are you guys on Slack? Like, what do you, how are you doing that? Yeah, this is the um, the magic of what makes it work. Uh, there's a mindset and there's a kind of a, a commitment to structure that you need to make it all work. And um, I kind of divide that into a few categories. So one is, um, I guess, to answer your question specifically um, on tools, yes, we we do we don't use Slack. We use um, Skype for instant messaging. And I haven't found a, a compelling reason to switch to Slack since we've been using Skype for ten years. And as an IM tool, it works. If Slack actually started embedding video call, conference calling, I would probably switch in a heartbeat. But otherwise, it's um, it's it's just kind of a well, they have the appear in um, integration, you know. I'll have to look into that. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, because I love Slack. So, but go ahead. <laughs> we use um, hang- free Hangouts for actual re- regularly scheduled meetings. Everyone just shows up into a room, which is important because just like in real life, you show up into a room, you do that virtually instead of being called. Uh, we use uh, Skype for IM. Uh, we use Yammer as an internal social network. That, that's a really important component to have a social network just for asynchronously sharing like tips and updates and uh, things that are too low level for um, for email, which frankly, I think Slack wouldn't work for that sort of thing because if, if someone posts something interesting, it gets buried really quickly um, and and because Slack doesn't support threading really well. So there's still a role for, for things like Yammer or private Facebook groups or something like that where it looks more like a social network UI. It has has threading underneath the, the first idea. Um, so, so having a social network, I think, is really important. We use a tool called Fifteen Five, which is a, a weekly retrospective between manager and report. People can reflect on their week, plan the next week, and, and uh, answer certain questions every week. That's been a very useful tool for us. Um, but you know, these are, the tools are actually a very small part of the story. The, the bigger the mindset issue for to get when running a company like this is to understand the notion of rhythms. What kind of meeting rhythms do you, do you need for culture to stay aligned? And then, um, and, and the rhythms that we use is, uh, daily standups. We actually do them twice weekly instead of daily. Uh, and so we do them on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's because our, our time zone span, uh, from California to Romania. So that, that seemed to be a little more sustainable to do. Um, and every department, any group of roughly, you know, five to 10, uh, that works together on, on the same sorts of things. Um, 
meets in a stand-up on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have several different department stand-ups happening. Uh, I used to attend them all as a CEO and just kind of just hear hear what what's going on everywhere. Every department then also I've noticed uh, in my experience is that no matter what a project or team or department is doing, typically they need at least two regular scheduled calls per week. One is um, on medium-term things like your objectives or whatever the, um, the higher-level goals you're working towards to help the organization, like new things that are pushing things forward. And the other one is on, on keeping the trains running now. So if your sales team will be reviewing pipelines and campaigns, if if you're an editorial team, it's it's reviewing um, uh, content publication metrics. Um, you know, if uh, if you're an events team, it's reviewing your timelines and, and metrics related to the next event. So it's kind of like a, a keep the trains running call, and also a, a medium term objectives and operational awareness call um, are important to have. And um, if you capture those two calls, you're kind of capturing most of the things that people would need to talk about. And if the other kinds of calls that are just ad hoc, project specific, or problem solving, and those can happen on an ad hoc basis outside of those calls. So being really committed to these kinds of rhythms are really important. Um, the daily stand-ups also have another side effect in that being virtual, everyone kind of knows that people will be there every day. So it re- reduces the barrier to um, connecting to someone and saying, hey, can I meet you after I have a question? Um, a stand-up has an agenda. Like um, Usually it's, what have you done in the last 20, 48 hours or 24 hours? Um, wh- what are you working on next? And am I stuck? So the am I stuck question really reinforces for people that you know we're here to help each other. And, um, and they can access each other. And, you know, everyone reporting in what they're doing to the team also creates a sense of, um, of teamwork, camaraderie, um, transparency. I had a comment from uh, one of the older p- people in the group that they feel more connected and aware of what's going on here than they've ever felt in other companies, even with people in the next booth over. So it's, these are the rhythms that, that enable that. Um, yeah, it's, you know that doesn't surprise me honestly, and I'd like you. I mean, you're, you've been touching on this, but I'd like you to speak to that to, some, to as well as uh, allowing people to work. Not, I mean, in some cases on their own time and like the time zone and the the, the day, the time of day that works best for them, but also in location and environment. Like that, you must just see because I see this on a small scale in the companies that I uh, operate, but I see such a huge boost in productivity from people when they're basically left alone, you know, and they can they can work in their, like, they can have their feet up, they can, you know, put, be in one part of the room that they want, like, whatever it is, like, it's just so much more freedom and control for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm kind of introvert, so running a company that's distributed, I can, I can be a socialite introvert, <laughs> so I, I'm on calls all the time, and it, it doesn't drain me, so I can still have um, a quiet room, um, an environment, wherever I want. Um, you know, I know, I do know people that, that go from city to city, and they work that way, I know people that never do that, and they, they just work in, um, they have a, you know, on the dining room table. And, and there is that, um, it, there's not that, uh, introverts will understand this, but there's not that energy drain uh, when you're constantly around people. You, you're in your own environment. You feel comfortable. You don't have to commute. I, I just, I've, since I've never commuted, I just can't imagine how people can commute an hour, even half an hour a day. Or ninety min- or ninety minutes, like in Tokyo, people commute two hours each direction. Two hours each direction. I mean, it's, wow! <laughs> if uh, half your life, basically, if, if Japan thing. wants to, yeah, if Japan wants to like reverse its population decline, they should mandate one day a week virtual. Everyone works from home and see how many more kids to get born. <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's just nuts. Two hours commuting. Holy cow! Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so it's just. I think it's more comfortable um, and. Generally, again, an environment that's virtual, that's distributed. See, I don't know what, what word to use, to be honest. I want to write a book, and I don't know if I should call it virtual organizations or remote or distributed. There's no perfect word for this. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, that's something maybe uh, your audience uh, might have some feedback on. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I, I take it for granted, but I, I realized this about five months ago or so when I was giving a talk. I was talking about virtual assistants, and I, it was just one of those cases where, like, half the people in the audience didn't know what a virtual assistant was. And I was like, oh, right, okay. Well, so a virtual assistant is <laughs> an assistant that's just not in the room with you, basically. It doesn't, doesn't get much different than that. You know, so, but, I mean, you're talking about virtual or everything, you know, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a different scale. Yeah. <laughs> distributed organization. I don't know. <laughs> so, so what is, but like you, so you individually, you're personally, like what does your day kind of look like? Who you check, you know, you get up, you do what you check in with who you wh- like, what does it look like for you? Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I believe I'm a big believer in morning routines. So, uh, I get up, uh, usually around six, six thirty, work out, meditate, have my green smoothie. Um, and I walk to the workspace because uh, my workspace is across the parking lot from from my home. So uh, in this case, it's it's kind of a home office. It's kind of not. Um, uh, you know, I used to I used to have it in my second bedroom for most of my life, uh, but recently moved it out here so that my uh, Toronto team can come visit and work from here uh, from time to time. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so I have basically my my work environment is sort of revolves around my calendar you know from a distributed perspective you know the people in the office we all do very different functions we don't really talk a lot about work we should just kind of socialize and at the end of the day hey how's your day i really don't know because we work in different departments um so it's more like a workspace but in terms of my own work week um when i was doing more operational work i was doing more coo-ish stuff until recently so my tuesdays and thursdays i would always um I, I would kind of stagger all the weekly scheduled calls from all the departments on those days. So my Wednesday, Wednesday, Fridays uh, could be mostly free or used for ad hoc stuff, project-related stuff. I found that pattern has worked really well, and a lot of other execs in the team have, have been trying to adopt that pattern as well. Like I would attend four different 15-minute stand-ups. That takes an hour on a Tuesday, an hour on a Thursday, and then you know two or three hours of department meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, but you know, my, my life now is CEO of a medium sized business. Uh, we do have, um, I guess about over 40 people plus another 40 on the Chinese subsidiary. Um, I'm pretty much on the call on calls about 20 hours a week and, um, sometimes 10 on, on lucky weeks and, um, everything is pre-scheduled. Everything is, is, um, on the calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. And, and again, I, I don't, I generally try to avoid any regular recurring meeting commitment outside of Tuesdays and Thursdays, just so I can manage my energy better. Now you have your team, you have this culture and stuff. Like when you bring someone new on at this point, or, you know, maybe you're not going to, but if you plan on it, like how long, obviously you have to interview and make sure that person's the right fit, but like how long does it take for them to kind of get into the fold? Um, yeah, it's uh, pretty quickly. So obviously, you know, it's good to have a checklist of um, things that a person should experience when they're onboarding. Um, we have we do objective planning in the company, so usually we create an objective for an individual of things to take on at, at different times in the first three months. So the people that are hiring them are, are, are doing some critical thinking about, okay, to make this sustainable, what should they kind of take on when? What should they learn when? What meetings should they have with people when for the, as part of their onboarding experience? And um, <laughs> I actually strongly believe that the onboarding itself, there should be at least um, a day in person. It's, it's definitely worth flying in for that because I think someone's initial starting experiences really, really matters. And to be, to feeling cared for and feeling part of the team is that their manager would spend time with them directly and, um, and just be available. Uh, so that's one, one little hack. Another hack is that in the first, um, four to six weeks of someone's initial employment, uh, we schedule a daily call 
uh, so they have access to their manager, sometimes even the surrounding team. So they, so, and the agenda of the call is, is whatever that person wants to ask. So they know they have time. They know that their team members are available for them. And, um, and they have the sense of being supported, um, as they start. So it's, you know, it's, it's both the ad hoc having those calls so they can ask whatever. And it's also pre-planning in terms of having, um, a timeline with things pre-thought out that, that, that they, um, should learn and, and when. And they're also co-creating that, that, that starting timeline. You know, we ask them, like, interview these people about, you know, what do you think, um, you should be taking on it, on adding, add it to your timeline, align with your manager. So, so there's alignment on kind of what's important and where. Uh, so I'd say onboarding is, is really, really important. Um, having, of course, having a social network, having a lot of the transparency we have, uh, really makes the process easier. Um, our, something I didn't talk about earlier is, um, uh, how do we, one of the key things in maintaining our culture is transparency. It's also one of our core values. So everything's transparent. Our one-page plan is visible to everyone. All the metrics of all departments are visible to everyone. We try and put them together so it's easy to access, even if you're across department, like one Google Sheet with, with tabs for each department, all the weekly key metrics. Um, everyone has objectives. They're all tracked on the same Google spreadsheet. Um, they've got like an objective name, who owns it, and there's a column per week of the quarter where they color it red, yellow, green, uh, based on the progress in that week, and they can write notes in the cell. So it's all it's all transparent. It's all seen in one place, and no one can say that they don't know what's going on in the company. Just go to the objectives dashboard. You can see what's going on in the company. You can see all the metrics. Everything is above board. Um, pretty much everything except salaries is above board, and um, so it was strongly believing in, in transparency. So there's never a sense of we try to as much as possible to avoid feelings of isolation or feelings of people feeling left out of anything, or that they're not exposed to anything. So so I'm always the um, the champion to use the dashboards. Hey, push this on Yammer, put that on Yammer, make sure people know about it. And uh, that's really important. Another kind of cultural dynamic there is trying to be bottom-up in every respect. So getting people to self-report. So self-report your metrics, self-report if you're stuck. Um, you know, self, you, you call, ask for help if there's a problem. So creating that results-oriented bottom-up environment is really important because um, I don't think that a, a culture that where, where some variant of accountability um, and transparency is not not in their ethos. I don't know how that could work in a virtual environment, and it would be pretty crappy, frankly, in any environment. <laughs> but especially virtually, it would be very difficult to have that. Um, so that's why I'm a huge fan of um, Dan Pink and his work through the book Drive: The Surprising Science of Motivation. So I've kind of taken purpose, autonomy, and mastery to heart as like sort of the, the my Bible and how how to kind of think of and structure all the different aspects of the employee experience. And everything should be reinforcing purpose, autonomy, or mastery. Nothing should be taken away from those things. Um, so yeah, even things like the, the weekly 15-5 check-in. People, yes, it's a way to answer questions that your manager sees every week, but it's really organized for you to re retrospect on your week, plan the next week. You'd be more successful in that manner. So, yeah, I didn't talk a lot, of, a lot about core values yet, but a good progressive company in today's day and age should, should talk about their core values, have understand their values, hire based on their values, have programs to, to um, reflect the, the values back on people, make it part of the vocabulary. So we have, a, we've built a culture now where uh, on the 55, every two weeks, we ask you to, if you've seen examples of the core values and you're in around you, people can answer and, and credit each other. They name them so everyone can see them get acknowledged. We have, we have the culture on Yammer as well. People can uh, thank each other. And they, they cite which core value the person exhibited. Uh, we play core value games at our annual meeting. That's the rhythm I forgot to mention. We, we do have annual, an annual meeting where everyone flies in. And uh, so you have like 60 people flying into to, um, one place. And we managed to keep the cost reasonable. Like um, 
for 60, for that many people, usually costs about, so did I say 60? Sorry, I meant for about 40 people fly into oh. one place and usually costs around $60,000. Um, you'd imagine it costing much more. I know companies that are a lot smaller that spend a couple hundred thousand on their annual all hands. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, uh, but the, my, uh, my, my model to keep the cost low was, uh, a second tier city in a second tier country. So we'll go to, to Spain, but we won't go to Barcelona. We'll go to Alicante. We'll go to Ireland, but we won't go to Dublin. We'll go to Kilkenny. Uh, we'll go to Prague and Czechoslovakia. Um, you know, we'll stuff like that. And, and we're going to Malta next in January. Looking forward to that. Awesome. And, um, and basically if you can go to a place where you get a, access to a modern four star restaurant, a hotel rather for $80 a night per person and, it, and no one feels like it's a cheap place, then that's, that's kind of the rule of thumb to organize the annual all hands. And, um, you know, another kind of a benefit of the all hands is that people, um, particularly people who are working in our, in emerging co- economies in the, in the company, it's a real benefit for them to, to get to travel every year. And, uh, you know, most of their, their peers, people they grew up with are not doing that. So it's, it's a huge perk. And, um, and it's also something to look forward to every year. Like, Hey, we're going to a new country. It's a new place. It's going to be fun. And, um, I, I can talk a lot about this. So, um, well, yeah, we're about out of time here. So it, uh, the, the one, very, the last question I want to ask you is when you're, and you, you, you've covered this a little bit, but is if you could boil this down, like if, when you're hiring a person, what's the one quality you look for in them more than anything else? Huh? Um, I guess it would be, hmm, well, I'll, I'll cheat and give you two. Um, okay. Cause I think two qualities that matter most in a virtual environment. And thus I'd look for in people is, is, uh, transparency, um, and also accountability. Um, so they get things done and they're, and they're willing to be open and, and, you know, raise the raise flag. If there's an issue, uh, be honest, tell the, tr- tell the truth, just, just, um, you know, just high, um, high transparency in all respects. That's really important for this kind of environment. Great. That works for me. Yeah. Uh, so Floyd, thank you so much. We're, we're telling people where they can find out more about you. Yeah. If you're interested in software development or have friends that are interested, check out, um, infoq.com. And uh, it's our publication and news articles and videos about software development. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.